Shago, you're listening to Legends of Tabletop, and this is Matthew M. Bartlett. Hey everybody, this is John. And this is Vince. And you're listening to Legends of Tabletop. Creating legends one die at a time. Thank you so much for joining us today, Matt. May I call you Matt? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, thank you. Um, But yeah, Matthew, I was just wondering, is there any way that I could get a shelfie of sorts of all those beautiful books behind you. You want me to move? I'll move out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Are you getting them? Should we? I'm getting them a little bit, but yeah. Um, how long would you say you've been involved in the, oh, let's say, uh, the telling of tall tales for fun and profit? Well, I started writing them in a, I would say late 2004, um, mm-hmm. mainly on LiveJournal, um, just to amuse myself and a small group of friends. Um, so I would just post these sm- small things, peri- you know, periodically. The things, the the small fragments and segments that ended up being gateways to abomination were little blog posts and sometimes they had comments from my friends in them and sometimes not. Um, but yeah, from about 2004, um, on to about 2009, um, was the writing of that book slowly because I didn't know it was going to be a book, you know, at the time. So since then, and it's been a lot more regular since gateways came out and I, I, you know, before there would be months where there would be no writing weeks or months and you know so now it's not that way now it's every day i i'm glad to hear it <laughs> um and looking from your cv uh you have become quite prolific over at least the past year um i i just see uh, your list of upcoming works and where they're going to be found and it's just the list goes on and on. Yeah, it's been, um, I've been writing away and thankfully these stories of finding homes and uh, yeah, I'm very mm-hmm. pleased. There's a lot, a lot before the end of the year. I, I see that. Um, I know in just the next month, uh, you've got provisions for a journey uh, in an anthology of strange and troubling dreams edited by Scott DeWire, Phantasm Chimera. Um, now, where can we find that once it reaches the marketplace? Uh, I'm not a, I mean, I know it will be on Amazon and BN.com. Um, I think that might be one of the books that's debuting at Necronomicon in Providence um, next month. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess thereafter, if everything goes according to plan, I know Scott is a, uh, he's a first timer for uh, anthology uh, editing and um, publishing. So, um, but it looks like he's doing a great job. He's got a bunch of good people. He's got some good artwork. Uh, so yeah, as far as I know, it should all go according to plan and, and, uh, and be available starting in la- uh, mid to late August. Awesome. 
Now, also, the two-wheel system walk on the weird side. And that's why Joe, Joe Pulver, um, will that also be making its debut in Necronomicon? It's my understanding that that will. Uh, that is a, um, what do you call it, a charity anthology for Necronomicon. So all the proceeds will go towards the continuation of this great this great convention um so yes that will that will appear there that's an old story um that's probably the oldest story that's newly coming out soon i think i wrote it maybe two years ago maybe three so i'm excited for it to come out it's one of my wife's favorites of mine and so she's excited to see it appear as well awesome um now matthew let's see uh minus the motor skills visual recognition and recall training that most literate children have had to undergo at that developmental time in all of our lives um i had already touched upon that in about 2004 you say a little bit over 10 years you have been writing um but what would you say was the inspiration that drove you to embrace the subject matter that you have? I think uh, <clears throat> from a very young age, I was interested in, um, well, let's see, very early on, I read the, the Hardy Boys books, you know, those little sort of mysteries, I guess. And then um, I became very much enamored with the Universal Monsters, the Lon Chaney Jr., you know, as the Wolfman, uh, Frankenstein, uh, Dracula. I hadn't seen the movies, um, but um, just looking at their images in, in books, you know, in bookstores really, um, really kind of blew me away. And I, I just, you know, fell for it, you know, and mm -hmm. fell right into it and was just interested in horror and sort of dark stuff ever since then. I got uh, my uh, grandparents both gave me um, uh, books. Probably I was a little too young to, to, to read these books, but my grandfather, knowing that I liked horror, uh, bought me the novelization of The Omen, um, which is, uh, I think, a very disturbing book for a 12-year-old to read. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I just loved it. And then my grandmother, uh, my father's side, um, she had the book Christine, and she gave it to me when she was done reading it, the Stephen King book. And I mean... I was kind of helpless at that point. So, yeah. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, uh, would you would you say that uh, you've always admired horror as a genre? Yeah, I, I did. My you know my favorite um, holiday was always Halloween. A lot of horror fans and writers will will tell you that, and it's a, maybe a cliche at this point. But yeah, I just loved Halloween and the story. That I like to tell. Um, I probably told it a hundred times, but I was a Cub Scout, and one of our Cub Scout troop meetings fell on Halloween, and we were told we could dress up if we wanted to. I was the only one who did. So we had our group picture taken, and it was, you know, however many, 12 kids in Cub Scout uniforms, and then me as a, with a full-on Dracula uh, <laughs> cape and makeup and my mom helped me draw in a widow's peak with eyebrow pencil you know so yeah <laughs> but yeah ever since i was ever since i was young and it's been a pretty continual 
continual thing. I've taken paths away from that in my interest as any, you know, sort of well-rounded reader might, but um, horror has always been kind of my favorite thing. To return to almost like a warm cup of coffee on a cold <laughs> day. Right. Um, I Speaking of coffee, I'm going to interject for just a moment uh, with a word from one of our sponsors, uh, Birds of a Feather Coffee Company. Now, Birds of a Feather Coffee Company, they roast their unique craft coffees in small batches, so it's always fresh. Their signature blends showcase the amazing breadth and depth of flavors that coffee has to offer. The Night Owl Blend, which is my personal favorite, for instance, is a rich and deep cup of coffee with notes of smooth caramel, decadent cocoa, and bittersweet molasses with just a touch of acidity to clean the palate so you're ready for the next sip. And you can check out all of the Bird's Coffees now and order at www.birdscoffeecompany.com. That's birdscoffeecompany.com. And we are running a short promotional. So for a limited time, if you place your order with the code LEGENDS10 at, at checkout, you do get a 10% off discount. So that being said, um, from what I have managed to read of Gateways to Abomination, you have a very particular cadence and stanza rhythms of three, alliterations of three, repetitions of three, etc. What made you draw your inspiration for this specifically? Uh, that may have been instinctive. It may have had its seeds in uh, the fact that when I was in college, I... Uh, was a, an English major for a while and did a lot of uh, poetry for classes and um, and writing, you know, just for myself. And so it, it probably came a little bit a little bit out of that. Um, I, but it wasn't um, planned that way. It's just kind of the way the way it came out. Um, I was not writing for a large audience. I was, as I said earlier, I was writing kind of to entertain and horrify and amuse some some friends of mine so um yeah i wouldn't say that a lot of uh forethought went into that went into that it just came out that way okay the natural rhythm of the universe in some sense <laughs> maybe the that's rhythm maybe, of I, maybe i keyed universe. into that yeah yes um let's see oh what else you do have coming up Oh, um, Master of the House, The Breath from the Sky, Unusual Stories of Possession, edited by Scott R. Jones. I'm looking forward to this anthology. Um, so when is that one coming out? Is that going to also be a Necronomicon release? You know, I don't know. There's, there are so many I start to lose track. Uh, it would mm -hmm. make sense for it to be a Necronomicon release, although it's possible I aired on my website and that it's coming out. You know, in the fall. I don't. I don't recall. I don't recall. But I know that when it comes out, it will be also available on Amazon, etc. In the usual outlets. Yes. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, and in October. Ooh, deep into the skin. 
I just talked with Ross about this earlier today, The Tales from the Talking Board, edited by Ross Lockhart of Word Horde. Now, I know that's coming out. I hope it's coming out in October. I think so. Okay. Now, of all of these stories, which I've only gone through maybe four or five entries into this very long list, which one would you say that's coming out was the hardest for you to write? That's a good question. It would, pro it would probably be uh, Master of the House. Um, mm -hmm coming out in A Breath from the Sky from Martian Migraine Press. Um, I had an idea. I don't know how much of it I want to reveal. I guess I could say that I had an idea that it would be interesting if a person were haunted by a house rather than the other way around. Um, mm -hmm. And I wanted to convey a compressed period of time in which one single event happens going into a little bit of depth with the characters, but not too much to distract from the main story. So I got some help uh, from some other writers sending them the story, asking them what worked for them and what didn't work, and took took their advice to heart. And it just it took a lot of doing until I got it to the point where I thought this might work. It never went to the point where I thought this is a home run. I just got it to the point where it seemed like I couldn't do anything else to it <laughs> without messing it up. And um, I hear that Scott, the editor, um, uh, likes the story very, very much, which which pleases me greatly. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to people reading it and seeing, um, you know, especially I'm looking forward to seeing the other stories in the anthology and the different takes that they have on that theme. I think it's a brilliant idea. Um, so yeah, that, that was probably the toughest. Second toughest was uh, Deep Into the Skin. Um, similar situation. I, I really, really wanted to get a story into a Word Horde anthology. I, I love what Ross does. Uh, I love his, his anthologies. And uh, so that one was just a lot of sweat went into it to try to make it right. And as with the previous story, um, I got in touch with some writers, uh, John Foster, uh, Kenneth Vaughn, um, and gave them the work in progress and, you know, as before said what works and what doesn't. And I had a lot of help sort of pulling out some themes that were in there that I didn't quite realize were in there and, and bringing them a little more to the forefront to make it kind of a, a more meaningful uh, story in the end. So that one I'm, I'm proud of too. And I, I'm, I'm really excited for that one. The cover looks tremendous. I don't know if you've seen it, but um it's a, it's a Ouija board on the cover, or a talking mm -hmm. board, not the Parker Brothers Ouija board. Yeah. Uh, not trademarked, so it's cool. And uh, I believe every copy comes with a bookmarked planchette that you can move over the letters, Ooh. which is just brilliant. You know, you have to love that kind of, uh, that must have been a real sort of light bulb going off moment, you know. Ooh. So I think it's going to be great. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Um, now, my... Uh, let's see, the Legends of Tabletop site head, I guess you would say, uh, John Haremza asks, do you have any writer's superstitions? <laughs> I don't know if I do. I'm very sort of hard-headed about writing. I think that um, 
I don't have to wear a special hat or, you know, I basically, my only thing is that I know that if I don't feel like writing, all I have to do is open up a work in progress and I start tinkering with it and then I'm writing. So I, I don't think that really qualifies as a superstition. So I would say the boring answer is no, I really don't. Okay. So you don't have any particular process when it comes to writing like the time of day or the location or a routine? Um, it is all, I tend to, uh, for about a year, I had a job where I had to get up very early in the morning and commute uh, about an hour and 15 minutes to work. So that left me very little time to write, and that was catch as catch can. As of last September, I have a job that doesn't start until later in the morning, uh, and my wife gets up very, very early. So I get up with her, uh, have a cup of coffee, uh, play with the cats, see her off to work, uh, and then I come in and I have a good anywhere between an hour and two hours, um, just me and the computer. So sometimes there'll be music, sometimes it'll be quiet. Um, I've had my coffee and um, I just sit down in my office at the desk I'm sitting at right now and just work on whatever I have going until I can't do it anymore or until it's time to get in the shower. Okay. Now, um, oh, let's see. Uh, of doomful portent, what made me contact you about this was, oh, I saw John Padgett had made a post about this on Facebook, okay? And, and then I immediately had to message you and reach out and ask for this interview uh, because I saw that the format for the graphic was, well, it emulated that of it calendar quite a bit and it took an awful lot of second classes to realize that oh <laughs> those snowflakes aren't snowflakes there there's a lot hidden in the in the graphics on the cover there there is um, yeah yeah um but but yeah uh, what is it that we get to look forward to um I have a project going with um, game designer and artist, and uh, God help me, I'll never pronounce his name right. Uh, I, I hope to meet him in person at Necronomicon and get it straightened out, but it's Yves Torini, Y-V-E-S-T-O-U-R-I-G-N-Y, uh, <laughs> okay? Uh, and I think he's a brilliant artist. I worked with him uh, previously on the book Dead Air, um, which he did some illustrations for. And he contacted me out of the blue with this idea to do uh, an advent calendar uh, formatted in such a way that one has to uh, open a perforated page in order to read each successive story. And he had a whole plan well beyond my capacity to understand of folding and creating these perforations. And um, the result um, with his illustrations, there's an illustration for each story and a, uh, an elaborate uh, design of a snowflake that precedes each story with, as you said, sort of hidden pictures in the, in the flakes, which are, they're really great. Um, yes. And he's, as far as I know, he's folding away to have those ready for Necronomicon. I believe that there will be 50 available at the con and then 50 more available uh, online. 
And at some point thereafter, I'm hoping this winter um, it will come out in a more traditional book form uh, on Amazon, um, probably an electronic version, although graphics are a particular challenge with that format, but uh, we'll see. Now, would time but wait, the goats root. Do you know, oh wait, I see that release date is TBD on this one. Yes, I'm not quite sure of the release date of, of that particular okay. anthology, New England folk horror anthology. Okay. Now, The Long Lost Parent with Tom Green with Strange Eon, Strange Eons. Uh, what, what issue is that coming out on? Do you know? It's, I can tell you it's coming out in the next one. <laughs> I don't remember the number. Uh, <laughs> okay. one, one just An issue just came out uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and then the, and I know there, there was some delay with that issue coming out. Uh, so I'm not quite sure, but um, I don't know the timing of it. But that was a great uh, exercise, my friend uh, Tom Breen, also a writer, I think a great writer. Uh, he and I were at a convention in Connecticut, and it was kind of quiet. We were sharing a table, selling books, and he brought his laptop and said, let's collaborate on a story. So he started, handed the laptop over to me, and I continued it back and forth, back and forth. Uh, and the story that will end up in Strange Eons is had very little editing. It's almost exactly the way it was typed in, in at the convention. And I, I love the story. I'm very excited for people to see it. I think it's, uh, I look at it now, I don't remember writing it, so I can kind of appreciate it as uh, just as a story. And yeah, I really, I like it. Okay. Now, uh, heading back over to just writing in general inquiries, um, when you are writing, what would you say was the most intimidating personal obstacle that you had to overcome before you began to see your efforts appear in the wild? Um, I think, well, when I put Gateways to Abomination together, um, I did it obviously using these stories from the live journal from 2004 to whenever I stopped, I think 2009 or so. Um, once that came out and people started to notice it, um, I began to realize that if I wanted to have any kind of a career in writing horror, I needed to work on longer stories because there's nothing in gateways, I think, that's over 2,000 words. Uh, and I knew that a lot of short fiction being written was uh, had a much higher word count than that. And I wasn't sure whether I could do that kind of storytelling. So I kind of just did my best. And, and, and that was a challenge, I think, to, um, to be able to produce a you know, a full length 5,000 to 7,000 word story. Uh, and it turns out that I didn't have a lot to worry about. I was sort of better at it, I guess, than I thought I would be. Um, but it was one of those things that I, I never tried because I didn't think I could do it. Uh, and then I, suddenly I was doing it and now it's kind of more the norm and I'm working with, uh, working on longer, longer pieces. Oh, there we, still we go. There? <laughs> yes, yes. I apologize. That's okay. Um, did you? Did we hear that last part? Did it come out? Yes, it did. Okay, yes, good, it did. Good. Um, now, did you? Did you have to change anything else specifically 
other than other than the uh, determination to have a longer word count. I had to start writing every day, uh, or as you know, as often as I could, with the goal of writing every day. Um, you see, when you're on Facebook from writers, a lot of writing advice, um, which ranges from you know the absurd to the very very practical. Um, and that one I thought just made sense. You improve at something when you do it all the time, when you challenge yourself. Um, so I think making the transition from when I was writing gateways to writing whenever I felt like it and, and banging out like three paragraphs and saying, well, that's, that's done, you know, um, just putting in the work every day, getting down in front of that screen. And um, yeah, I mean, the ideas haven't stopped so that's a good thing knock on wood mm -hmm. they continue but so far i've been you know i worked up to writing every day and now I'm, now i'm doing that that's great now do you ever find yourself slipping back uh to how you were before you made the decision to be more disciplined about your daily output uh no not really i um I give myself a little leeway on the weekends um, to, you know, not not have any kind of a minimum word count. If I write a paragraph on a weekend, I'm I'm happy. But uh, it's that during the week, I really treat it like it's the job I go to for one to two hours before I go to uh, work. So treating it that way has has worked out. And okay. yeah, slipping would be like not going to work at a job that you really like so it doesn't really happen okay um now what would be the least fun part of this job that you do for yourself <laughs> every day i think the hardest part is editing um having the discipline to go back through and see something that's repetitive or something that doesn't work and having the eyes to look at it from to try to look at it from an objective point of view what would an editor see here uh what would someone else look at because with gateways there was literally no editor i did all the editing um i think it came out all right but you know in these with these longer stories um with writing towards a larger mythos or whatever um there's a strong desire to have the kind of discipline to get it to an editor, hopefully in a state where they don't have to do a lot of heavy lifting and a lot of work. So I think that that can be difficult um, because it used to be that once I finished with a story, I had that sort of sense of accomplishment. This is done and, and it's good. Um, but now there's tinkering and that can be tiring. Oh, yes, it can to look at the same thing and just rephrase it just a little tiny bit. Yeah, um, sometimes, a, you know, a sentence I was perfectly happy with at the time, uh, I'll write 20 different versions of it before I think it's what it should be. And, and it's one of those things where I like having done it better than I like doing it. Now, writing isn't that way, but editing is, is definitely that, that way for me. Now, I'm going to inter interject one more time sure um, with birds of a feather coffee company our proud sponsor uh, which we are very thankful for 
Um, I'm just going to remind you all that they do roast their unique craft coffees in small batches so they are always fresh. The signature blends showcase the amazing breadth and depth of flavor that coffee does have to offer, and I enjoy it every day. This stuff is fantastic. The Morning Lark blend, which is, uh, I, I haven't tried it, so I can't really say. I know that I'm absolutely in love with the Night Owl blend, but it is a bright, complex coffee with a lot of layers from the structured roasted malt base to the honeyed sweetness that finishes with a hint of citrus and spice. It'll wake up your taste buds morning, noon, or night. Check out all of the bird's flavors and order them at birdscoffeecompany.com and use the code LEGENDS10 for a 10% discount on your coffee order. Good evening, good morning, good night. Anytime is a great time for coffee. Now, um, Matthew, I'm going to go ahead and lead into what we call our final questions, if that's okay. Sure. Um, do you prefer video games or tabletop games? Uh, I hate to disappoint with this answer, but I'm not a big game person, really. I guess uh, ultimately I uh, prefer video games. I did um, at one point I bought a PlayStation only for the purpose of playing Silent Hill 2, uh, which I played until uh, until I got through it with a lot of help from the internet. And um, I don't think I ever touched the console or the or the game again. <laughs> uh, we had a, my parents got me a Nintendo Wii for a while, and I enjoyed uh, shooting at the balloons and whatever and what have you. Uh, but ultimately. I try to shed anything that takes too much time away from writing now. My free time is precious, and I like to spend a lot of time with my wife and with the cats. Um, and, uh, you know, in the morning I write, on the weekends I write. So I think anything besides reading, uh, writing, and, and watching uh, TV and movies, something I tend to, to not do. Games just seemed to me to be... They didn't do a lot to get me sort of stimulated and thinking, so. Yes, they, they do tend to suck the free time away. They do, um, and I, I have nothing against it, but yeah, it was just something I never really took to all that much. I mean, I had an Atari uh, when I was a kid, and, and I loved that, and I loved, like, ColecoVision. Uh, a college roommate uh, of mine and, and a good friend almost <laughs> almost dropped out of college because playing uh, too much Super Mario Brothers, which I, I enjoyed playing as well, but not to the point of, uh, you know, potentially sabotaging my... Uh, my future career uh, but yeah i just um yeah it was never a big never a big component of my life but i guess if another game came out that was intriguing to me i would you know probably something in the horror area i would uh i'd probably get into it okay cautiously well, yeah uh star wars speaking of movies and television, which I heard you reference a little while ago, Star Wars, Star Trek, or if you don't like either one of those, uh, Dune, which one? I was a Star, Star Wars kid. I went, um, when it came out in the theater, I was blown away. I got like the vinyl soundtrack as a kid and listened to it, uh, 
I have it on my iPod to this day. Uh, I have a I have a fondness for it, but it doesn't really reach too far beyond the first three movies. Um, I did go see the prequels. Um, you know, I, I did not much care for them. Uh, I saw the uh, wow, those are pod racing. <laughs> <laughs> right, and I saw the first J.J. Uh, Abrams uh, one, which I, I enjoyed um, to a degree, but it felt a little bit like an exercise in nostalgia. The beats were the same. Uh, I might even watch it again, but um, yeah, is there? This is how sort of out of out of the loop I am. Uh, has there been a, another Star Wars since that first reboot? or whatever you want to call it. Pre Not yet. I think there's going to be another, I think it's going to be like scheduled Christmas releases for the next foreseeable future. Yeah. I'll, pro <laughs> I'll probably end up seeing them. Probably not in the theater as I don't go uh, anywhere near as much as I used to. And uh, I had friends who liked to go, you know, go with me as a younger man. A friend of mine who's since passed away was sort of my movie friend. And I, uh, since he died, I just haven't really, I don't go all that much. So it's pretty much going to be an Amazon or Netflix uh, thing for me. But thankfully, TVs are wonderful now. So they can uh, sort of emulate that theater experience without uh, people yelling and talking and interrupting the movie. So. Yes. Um, if you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? Hmm. Let's see. <laughs> I'm unprepared for this question. Um, is uh, eternal life a superpower? I suppose so. Okay, I guess I would do that. I um, uh, I'm sure it would present its own challenges and everything, but uh, I have a kind of an aversion to the idea of death. So, um, I guess it, I think it would pose a slight problem. It would, but you know, there are always new people to meet, you know, and I wouldn't miss any books uh, ever. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. Um, All the time in the world, you never know. That's right. I could break my glasses like in the Twilight Zone episode, or um, mm -hmm. maybe I'll just go with flying. <laughs> <laughs> It's mundane, but it, you know, it's got to be pretty good. Yeah, true. Uh, Marvel or DC? Were you much of a comics person? Uh, not a, not much of a comics person. I kind of liked the, I'm kind of like an independent comics kind of person to a degree. I like those like um, uh, Chester Brown, uh, Joe Matt is another one that I, I've looked at, and I, I like that kind of gritty sort of underground sort of uh sort of comic so uh but i never was much of a, a real superhero guy i hate to disappoint it's so laser focused on horror my uh my you know my uh likes sci-fi or fantasy stepping um, away from the from the, the horror genre in general hmm. or splitting it I guess it's. I, I guess I would say I like a combination. I, I like um, Theodore Sturgeon, um, kind of in the in the sci-fi area or SF. Um, uh, Harlan Ellison a little bit. Um, fantasy. Um, there's so many sort of sub genres now that uh, you know. I'm sort of like I'm an old person. Like I see fantasies as uh, you know dwarves and, and hobbits and stuff. And uh, that's, I know that there is, uh, 
a wide variety of, of fiction that's categorized in the fantasy area now that bleeds over a lot into horror and into science fiction. And I, I'm, I'm interested in that um, to a degree. Ultimately, I would say I probably lean more towards, towards science fiction than, than fantasy altogether. Okay. But that might just be an experience in the, in the fantasy genre, you know. It could be. But here I'm going to take a hint from Twitter. What is the stupidest reason that you would use time travel for? <laughs> the stupidest reason. Um, I would... The stupidest reason. I guess this is kind of dumb. I would go back and tell my 16-year-old self uh, that... Uh, you know what what's going to happen <laughs> you know that oh. you, you, will, you will become uh, a writer i think i would have been very interested to know that at the time because i didn't think it was possible i my horror reading at the time had been largely in the stephen king area and that just seemed like such an impossible standard uh to hold oneself to that i i, I would have thought i i'm sure i thought i would love to do that but it's as likely as my becoming like a, you know, nuclear physicist or whatever. It just didn't seem within the realm of reality. So I think I would go back and give myself that little glimmer of hope in the dark time of adolescence, you know, when you yes. don't feel like you can do much of anything, you're not much good for much of anything, you know? Yes. That, 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 that speaks to me. <laughs> Uh, perhaps a little bit more than it should. Um, but what job, if you were offered it, would make you immediately drop everything you're doing to say yes to? Oh, boy. That's another one I feel sort of unprepared for. Um, I mean, it's probably very mundane to say if I could get paid to be a full-time writer, I would drop everything in a second and, and, and do that. Um but other than that, I uh, I don't know jobs. You know, they're um, I guess they're kind of they're that necessity. You know, the the, the day job or whatever. Um, so it's hard for me to think of like a job that exists out there in the world that you excuse me that you go to that you would love. I used to like to picture. Um, it would be kind of interesting if rather than horror being this sort of loose community of writers who many of them know each other through social media and conventions, if there were one building that you all would just go to one day or every day. So I would go in, uh, I'd get on the elevator with my cup of coffee and I'd see, you know, Michael Wehunt working on a story and I'd, you know, put my arms over the side of his cubicle and say, what you working on there, buddy? And then I'd I'd go over to mine and get going on my work, and I'd look over and see John Paget, you know, with a smaller chair with a ventriloquist dummy sitting next to him, and I, <laughs> I'd go over and you know, play with the ventriloquist dummy and check out what he was writing. And if it were just like this corporation where writers clocked in, wrote and socialized and read all day, you know, it wouldn't be uh, out of the ordinary to see somebody with his feet up and you know, a book open at his desk. Uh, if that job existed, I would, I would, uh, I would do that job. I hope that's a good answer. That that would be really cool. It would make the editing process much easier. It would you just bring this over. Look at this page. I'm trying to get at something here. Am I doing it right? You know. Now, what album? Music question. What album can you listen to all the way through without skipping a single track? 
probably Grave Disorder by the Damned would be one. Um, I just now I just want to reel off, you know, as many as I can think of. I'm Your Man by Leonard Cohen would be one. Uh, Blood on the Tracks by Bob Dylan. Um, the Final Cut by Pink Floyd. Um, and I'm going to just, I'm going to miss after we're done with this, I'm going to think of, you know, 20, a hundred more that I, that I'd want to reel off. But, uh, every album by ghost, uh, is in that category. Okay. Now, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to end with, uh, what question do you wish I would have asked you today? Hmm. I guess I wish you would have asked, um what is forthcoming for books <laughs> yes absolutely so now, now see i i did i that that is that is why i copied and pasted your list yes. of what's coming but is there something that you haven't listed on your site there's something a, a book that we haven't talked about um a small collection coming out from dunham's manor press oh, yes. uh yep called the stay awake men and other mm -hmm. unstable entities yeah um, limited edition of 100 dunham's manor press now you guys are all about trying to suck all of my free money away <laughs> at necronomicon is, yeah. is is this when it's coming out? It's coming out at Necronomicon? That I don't know. I think we're looking at a fall release for that one. Um, okay. But uh, the artwork is by Dave Felton, who does tremendous work. Um, he's doing three interior pieces and the cover. Um, they are quieter stories in a way. They're different. They're different. Um, it's a different kind of collection. It's not the stories are not linked. Uh, they do have some settings in common, but um, uh, it's just a, a book I'm really proud of. I'm excited to have it out there. It will be in a limited edition of 100 hardcovers, and then eventually it will also be available in a in a paperback somewhere down the road. But um, yeah, I just wanted to mention Dave Felton because you know I've I've gotten a, a peek at some of his cover ideas and some of the interior pieces that he's completed and. I think I just think people are in for a real treat with this book. So I'm excited about it. I wanted to talk about it. So <laughs> that was the one. Speaking of limited editions, you have another version of Gateways to Abomination, uh, signed and numbered, the 36 copies that's yes. coming out at, at Necro as well. I don't think it's coming out at Necronomicon. I believe it will be on the, on the website of the publisher, which is uh, Thunderstorm Books. Yes. Um, and yeah, I'm not that I believe that's going to be in August. That is a oversized hardcover. Um, and I, I was contacted and, and um, gave the manuscript over to, uh, to Thunderstorm Books and they ended up being happy with it and they decided to go with it for a limited hardcover. 36 is a small number. So I hope that uh, some of the people who really want it are able to to get a hold of it and then it will be and it will be gone okay well that that is quite limited indeed however there oh gosh what was i gonna ask oh broadcasting what in your background has led you to interweave the radio broadcasting theme so deeply into gateways 
I had a radio show in college. It was a very goofy sort of comedy jokey uh, radio show uh, called Kevin and the Eggman in the morning. Um, I'm friends now on Facebook with Kevin, who, who was my uh, co-host, um, very able radio guy. I think he made radio his career. Um, yes. And that was interesting to me. Listening to the radio was interesting to me. Um, there was a broadcaster by the name of Joe Frank, who, who I cite a lot. He did um, sort of surreal, sometimes deeply personal radio monologues um, in a very engaging voice uh, with uh, sometimes a drone in the background or sometimes music that would offset um you know, the content. Um, and that really grabbed my imagination, particularly driving in the area, um, in the dark at night, this voice talking to you from the, from the radio, that was the main, um, impetus to start writing gateways. Uh, they're the stories that ended up being gateways was just that, uh, voice in the car in the dark at night, um, that it could say anything and it would be, Something about removing the visual component um, engages the imagination in the way that good writing does. Um, so those two sort of things together, it made it kind of a natural theme. And if I, uh, you know, my con the concept for starting off this live journal page was um, basically a friend of mine had begun a live journal page that was fictional. It was humorous. It was extremely funny. Um, and I got jealous and I said, I want to do my own live journal page. Well, what am I interested in? I'm interested in horror. Um, what's a good idea for horror? And radio came to mind and that's just, I just kind of jumped on from there. And I still have, you know, the first two pieces I wrote, which set up the whole thing. And of course, at the time I hadn't, I, it very well could have been something that I wrote and then never did anything with again. And for whatever reason, it seemed worth sticking with probably because of the reaction of the five or six people who were reading it. Um, and I do tend to reaction does motivate me a little bit. If people like something, I'm like, well, good. I want to give you more of that thing that you like that I did. So um, anyway, here we are. Excellent. I, are, are you going to be at Necronomicon? This I year? will. I will I'll be there for four days. I love Necronomicon. I went in 2013 um, prior to any of this, um, prior to Gateways coming out, and uh, I, I really liked it. When I went back in 2015, uh, by that time, of course, I'd had a couple of books out, and um, I just, it was this oasis uh, of horror and weird fiction where you would walk around a corner and you'd see Ross Larkhart there and you'd turn another corner and you'd see Joe Pulver you'd turn mm -hmm. another corner. Michael Cisco was there and just all these people that I know only through their writing or through social media or, you know, it's like a, they've taken over the city and it's a beautiful city. Um, so yeah, I, I, Necronomicon is like a must go for me as long as they do it. And I hope they do it uh, into, uh, into eternity or however long they can, they can stand the tremendous effort that that's behind putting that, putting all that together. Absolutely. I was so glad when they started it up again, I went once in 99 oh, wow. long ago yep. and then, and then they just kind of, went on hiatus for a while and uh, and some people asked me to go to 2015 and I went I 
glad that I did. And I look forward to seeing everybody there. And oh gosh, it's just a number of weeks now. It is. It is. I'm very excited. I'm going to uh, ReaderCon on Saturday just for the day. I'm going to Nikon a week from Saturday. Uh, but it's all just sort of leading up to, you know, in my mind, to the to the biggie, you know, to four days of just having a great time with uh, writers and readers and having good meals and good drinks. And it just, it, it, it really is uh, something I'm very much looking forward to as a highlight of uh, every year that they hold it. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so very much for taking the time to speak with me and Legends of Tabletop regarding all of your works. Um, and again, I do I do look forward to the release of, of Doomful Portent, an advent calendar of grotesque horror. That looks like it's going to be great fun. Um, and also, I, I greatly have appreciated your gateways to abomination, what I have managed to read of it in the last day or so. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you so very much for your time, sir. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And, uh, I hope I was uh, amusing and entertaining. <laughs> I never know, you know, after a long day of work, uh, I hope this was, uh, a positive experience for you and your, your viewers. And now I want to try some of that coffee. Absolutely. Birdscoffeecompany.com code legends 10 for a 10% discount. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop Broadcast Network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.